first official episode of Black Girl Interrupted. Future Jasmine here and uh, Black Girl Interrupted was the original name I wanted, but turns out you should actually make sure the name that you want to name your podcast is available. Um, I did not realize that. <laughs> like a bitch didn't even look it up before recording and it was when I started to put together some post-production stuff that I'm like, ah, oh, somebody else is already clever and thought of it. So shout out to the host of Black Girl Interrupted, but that's fine because I always have a plan. B, C, D, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. And speaking of P, the new name of this podcast is Pretty for a Black Girl. I plan to get into a lot of topics, but I feel like the best place to start is at the beginning in a time far, far away. And that is my own journey with mental health. So guys, in this episode, I want to dissect the conditioned belief that therapy is for white people. Why do we say it? Why do we believe it? And what is the harm in perpetuating it? So to answer all these questions, as well as lend the lens that I looked through growing up, I'm going to break down today's episode in the following parts. My personal experience with hearing the phrase therapy is for white people and my path to denouncing it. After that, we'll get into a very shallow dive into the psychology behind black people and obstacles that prevent us from seeking therapeutic treatment. And finally, we are going to move past it and bask in the paradise that is going to therapy. Actually, that's actually a perfect segue because growing up in Alpharetta, Georgia, I heard a lot of Creed and Yellow Card and Lifehouse. Anyway, a little bit of background is I grew up in Alpharetta, Georgia, which is now Johns Creek. And according to a 2010 census report, shout out Wikipedia, the city was mostly white, totaling 64% white. 24% Asian, 9% Black, 5% Hispanic. But this isn't a math podcast. The reason I am explaining that is because I'm just trying to paint the picture. Your girl was going to a predominantly white school. So, you know, growing up, I heard the following compliments. You're pretty for a Black girl. Or you're not like other Black girls. You're like basically white. (laughs) And I went to school with too many Katies, and I adopted Aaron Carter as my first celebrity crush because LOL, I wanted to fit in. So now that you have the backdrop to my childhood, let's move forward. Being one of the only black kids definitely had its downsides. I have a lot of like unresolved shame surrounding the years I spent resenting the color of my skin, to be embarrassingly honest. Unlike my white friends, I felt like my skin was this almost like armor of accusations and preconceived notions, and I had this like dark halo effect over my actions. Now, spoiler alert, I do end up embracing my blackness after high school, but I still think 
understanding where I was psychologically is important, um, especially with my journey to mental health. Now, my proximity to whiteness also served me in ways I don't think a lot of us talk about. I am not going to celebrate it, and to be clear, this is not to lean into white saviorism. More so, I do want to acknowledge that because of my proximity to whiteness, I did develop my own sense of privilege. Additionally, because I was A, a child of an affluent black family in the city, B, had lighter skin that granted me entry into mixed company, no pun intended, and C, uh, because I knew how to code switch, I was able to like kind of go undercover like Laura Croft style and learn about resources and garner like tips and advice that I wasn't getting at home. Um, And that ability to go undercover served me most when it came to my mental health. And here is what I mean. My earliest memory of having depression and suicidal thoughts goes back to fourth grade. I remember pretty vividly telling my peers, I don't want to live anymore, I pray God takes me away at night, with this like very somber confidence that I think only a child can really possess. Looking back, I'm not 100% sure why I told them, but I think, if I had to guess, I think I just wanted to know like, hey, do you you feel this too? Is this this normal? Um, It's not. And... I found out through those conversations that what I was feeling um, was very unique to me. So I would tell my parents these thoughts. My mom mostly. She's definitely more of the like emotionally open of my parents. And whenever I would say, hey, like, I don't feel like living. I want to die. She would catch my words in like the palm of her hand and pitch the same old response. Jasmine, you have nothing to be depressed about. When I was growing up, I didn't know where my next meal was coming from. She also doesn't sound quite that Southern, but I think it really just adds a lot of like character development to my childhood story, so we're going to go with that. Anyway, she would trail off about growing up in poverty and that my level of self-preservation was purely superficial. Without fail, I would, you know, strike out because in essence, we weren't poor enough for me to be depressed. When I look back with hindsight as an almost 30-year-old, I think this response was more common among Black boomer parents. And while in 2021 I can hear it and immediately call out its toxicity, I think in my soul, I know that my mom really believed this in her heart. I don't think she was coming from a place of malice. If she knew what she knows now, I think her response would be totally different. In her eyes, she saw the life I had being chauffeured by two married parents in a luxury car, living in this large home in the suburbs of Atlanta, going on annual vacations. You know, she never had gone on one until her honeymoon. Essentially, she saw me living the Black American dream, whereas she spent her childhood digging herself out of poverty in Alabama and essentially trying to get what I was born into. So, I'm sure it was pretty maddening to see her child in pain, and rather than acknowledge it, it was just easier to rationalize it as me having a lack of gratitude. Thankfully, my parents have evolved past these notions they hurled at me during my formative years, and look, that counts for something. And it is very important to my journey, and I'm going to spend a lot of this podcast applauding them and, you know, celebrating their evolution. 
But it would be remiss of me to just glaze over the fact that much of the damage I've spent years repairing was done under their roof. You see, growing up when it came to mental health issues, which like no one called them that, they were just called your issues, I had three options. I could pray it away, I could repress it away, which I got really good at, or I could, and this was the most important option, the almost like you had to pick option was stay away from talking about them, especially in front of other people, because you know, Folks might think you're crazy, that we're not raising you right. But when I went to school, I would hear stories about weekends spent at a child play therapist's office or really positive updates on a peer's new medication for their ADHD. I would go home and be like, Mom, I think I have ADHD or something. I can never focus in class. (sighs) Jasmine. ADHD is what rich white parents call it when they don't want to discipline their kids or it's said that they bad. Besides, you are too well behaved to have ADHD. You are the perfect child. At the time, I really didn't know if my mom was right. I could like hear her words, but at school, I just know that I saw teachers making great accommodations for children who saw therapists and whose parents were really vocal about their kids' mental development. I saw a level of empathy applied that I envied for myself. And unfortunately, I spent a lot of my teenage years thinking about my white friends' parents, that they showed their love for their kids in a more Disney way, which is what I called it then, and to be honest, I still call it that now. I didn't understand um, growing up that culturally parents of color, especially immigrant parents, just show their love and affection differently. You know, usually we're cooking food or, you know, I'm sure my dad would say providing a roof over my head, finances, sending me off to college, which are really all incredible things, um, is how he shows love. I just knew at age like 9, 10, 11, 12, my white friend's feelings were validated at home and mine seemingly were not. So sometime during those years, likely in middle or high school, I just remember making myself a promise. Uh, Once I got out and I was no longer in the control of my parents, I would save up $500 and go to therapy one day. Which, just quick editor's note, that's not how much therapy costs, but again, when you don't have access to information, these are these the assumptions you make as a child. Eventually, during my sophomore year of college, I found myself in one of my worst headspaces. And I have a whole episode coming up on that, but one of my friends, a white girl named Emily, was a psychology major. And like any good psych major, she was instrumental in pushing me to get professional help. Um, And again, little spoiler alert, I end up getting professional help, but it's still important to know that there was apprehension before I would eventually step foot in my first therapist's office. You know, I just remember wanting to go, but being worried that the language I heard growing up would prove true. Was therapy just for white people? Was therapy only for crazy people? Was I fucked up enough to go? Was my therapist going to laugh me out of their office because nothing was wrong with me? That last one is what my mom said would probably happen. But one day I would have a panic attack in the mall inside of a Panera Bread right in front of my mom. 
And that would kind of change everything and be this catalyst, I think, for both myself and my mom. You know, I don't even know if she remembers this, but I remember seeing a kind of maternal terror in her eyes that day. And I remember her, you know, grabbing our coats and looking at me in the eye and vowing, we are going to get you some help. (laughs) And I'm sure part of it was just her being a mom and like truly being worried for her baby. But I'm also sure some of this was like, bitch, I know you did not just take me inside of this mall in a public space and embarrassed me in Panera Bread over a pick two combo. And it all comes together in a you pick two made just for you. Only at Panera Bread. I do think that was the moment it really, you know, crystallized for her. A woman who had once denounced the very idea of therapy for her daughter um, and thought depression and anxiety were just stunts for attention, were now very, very, very genuine, authentic cries for help. But the evolution for my mom wasn't overnight, you know, she still had her doubts. But it was my black mother who was my greatest early advocate in so many ways. My mom was working in and still works in the healthcare industry. She was able to coach me through the process of finding a doctor that was in network and explaining jargon like in network to me. She also let me know (laughs) that therapy does not cost $500, thank God. She drove me to my doctor's appointments. She would like be waiting in the car as I spoke with the therapist about what was going on in my life and Even though I think the first few sessions, the drives to and from were pretty quiet, over time, she began to like open up and ask questions. And, you know, soon the jokes really did stop, you know, for the most part. And those jokes were replaced with genuine curiosity and a humility to learn and evolve. In retrospect, I didn't even realize it until now, but uh, her support was really, really important for me, especially when I'm, you know, 19 and 20 years old. Since then, she's completely released the idea that therapy is for X kind of people, you know, crazy people, white people. It's just, she believes, understands, and says therapy is for people (laughs) who just want to get help. It is literally for everyone. While I know many of us weren't encouraged to go to therapy or explore our feelings in a deeper, introspective way, it doesn't mean we are destined to die on this hill of resentment or just accept that something isn't in the cards for us. We're allowed and we are empowered to look ahead and learn. So enter the learning phase. Producer Jordan, hit it! Psych 101. So in our little Psych 101 today, I want to focus on why we thought therapy wasn't for us and why that never should have been the case. I was reading an article on ZenCare and according to its researchers, Ashawan, Sandberg, and Hall, um, there are two major obstacles that we face in the Black community. A lack of cultural understanding and a stigma about going to therapy. Ding, 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 ding. According to their report, and this next thing is 100% copy-pasted from this article that is in the show notes, 
Many Black individuals point to a lack of cultural understanding within the Black community as the reason why they don't seek therapy. Given the historical and present-day experiences of racial oppression and marginalization in the majority of a white country, plus institutions with mostly white providers, such as the medical and mental health fields, many people of color, and in this case, Black people specifically, are mistrustful of the psychotherapy field. Um, yeah, snaps. I definitely can feel that one. Next, misrepresentation of Black cultural identities, experiences, and relationship values. Misdiagnoses happen, subconscious assumptions, all of these influences really just perpetuate the worries and the actual experiences of Black clients. Particularly in working with white therapists, many Black individuals fear that their therapists will not fully understand their cultural or racial experiences. And sadly, many clients have indeed experienced that their therapist doesn't demonstrate understanding of or respect for their experiences as Black individuals. So now that we understand and we've learned a little bit of why we've internalized the idea that therapy is for white people, now it's time to shoo it away, pass the buck, and really give ourselves the empowerment to move on. So here's why we no longer need to believe any of that. Or let me rephrase that. This is why we no longer have to allow that to stop us from seeking the treatment that we need. First, racial trauma is very real. Um, obviously, I think that's like a no shit, Jasmine. <laughs> I hope that was your response just then. But why I'm explaining that is I'm not trying to say that one class needs therapy more than the other. But black people, we definitely need it. Um, not only are we just living in a place where white supremacy seems to be the norm and a ruler in in our country you know and i'm obviously speaking towards my american audience but we are carrying so much generational wounding that has been done to our ancestors and that is not for us to just sit and decide yep well you know, my life's gonna suck. No, it's, if anything, if we can do it for ourselves, if we can go to therapy for ourselves, um, ma'am, let's go for our ancestors where it wasn't an option. Or even more important, let's do it for our great-granddaughter who's not even in existence yet. So that, damn it, she doesn't have to read headlines. X company elects first black CEO. I don't know about you, I'm really fucking sick of that being news. I would love to live in a society where that is not something that needs to be applauded because it is just the norm. And we are never going to get there until we, <laughs> we get there ourselves. And yeah, it's fucked up that we have to be our own advocates and we basically only know a life of survival and self-resilience. It shouldn't be that way. But if it is going to be that way, let's get there. And let's get there sooner. And if therapy is that vehicle, okay, then let's all just like strap in, zoom, zoom, and go together. <sighs> that was a tangent. Really sorry. Getting back on the road, 
we can see black therapists um, or even black Christian therapists. Now, like me, I totally thought therapists were like these old, bald, white guys with glasses who look like Mr. Feeney, but um, it's not like that at all. In fact, I saw a therapist for two years. I think HIPAA is okay if I say her name in Dallas. It was Dr. Whitney Stewart, and I went into her saying, hey, I basically have lived two lives my entire life because I'm black at home and then I'm like this code switching version of myself at work and at school and I just feel like super fucked up in the head because of it. Help me. And guess what? That's like basically what she wrote her dissertation on. You can see people just for black trauma. And the reason I brought her up was because I was very intentional about seeing a black female therapist. I wanted to see someone who knew my struggle and not because she fucking took a summer in 2020 to like learn and listen, but because she's like lived it, you know? And thankfully she's also Christian and we shared a lot of like spiritual beliefs and values. So that really helped. And that was a bonus. Um, She was definitely like the auntie I needed in that season of life. And then we can also just educate ourselves on the confidentiality agreements that are put in place to protect us. And yeah, I mean, if you just don't trust doctors, understandably, maybe I can sit here and explain to you, hey, confidentiality agreements are put in place to protect you. Your doctor can't just run off and tell your business to everyone. I can understand if you're like, "Mm, thanks, but no thanks, but they're not. And also, I've talked to my therapists before, They're pretty busy. They don't have time (laughs) to tell your business in these streets. And I really feel most therapists are not going to risk their license to talk about your business to people who don't know you. But that's a two cents. Fight with me on Instagram. We can get into it. And finally, if just you're like, hey, I am all for making these open wounds into faded scars, but girl, I am not down for therapy. Hey, baby steps. There's always groups like AA if you just have been coping with alcohol or narcotics or drugs, you can have, you can join a small group at church. There's also online organizations. I think if there's a baby step, I really want us to consider it's finding a real community that you can reach out and touch when the pandemic is over, but you can reach out and touch and you can know where you are safe. And if that's not in your family, you're not alone. For years, I felt like I couldn't talk to my parents about certain things. And there's still some topics that we don't bring up, like medication is one that, you know, We barely scratched the surface there, and that's okay. But I know that in order for me to thrive, for me, for my ancestors, and for hopefully my granddaughter who's gonna like go off into space or not go off into space if she doesn't want to, I need to do what's best for me. Look, as we look ahead, I want all people, every color, every gender, every religion, to know with certainty that the aids in place to help with mental illness, or even just hard seasons of life, are not reserved for any one community. It's a farce, everyone. Therapy is for everyone. Medication is for everyone. Yoga is for everyone. 
talking about shit that traumatized you is what? For everyone. Oh, round of applause, class. You're learning. Putting language and words to your feelings is for everyone. We don't get to heal ourselves, let alone our ancestors, until we know that and believe that and empower others with this truth. So I have a couple of exercises. And no, I'm not like a licensed professional, but I mean, I'm a girl who's like been through some stuff. Okay, so if you currently believe or once believed that therapy was just for white people, I want you to take out a piece of paper or, you know, you can take out the voice memo app on your phone and talk to yourself and explain or journal or write in detail why one group of people is allowed to have access to resources and heal their trauma with professional help, but another group isn't. And look, if you really think you have something that you're proud of, write me an email, send me a DM on Instagram, because I really hope you look at your response and know it's it's a lie. You deserve professional help. It's so cheesy, but you do deserve to live your best life. Okay. And further ask yourself, what social construct are you allowing your mental health to be deteriorated by? The idea that therapies for crazy people. Um, by the way, we like totally gave up that whole story arc, like in the eighties. So like you're just behind the times don't mean to get sassy about it, but here we are. And exercise two, for those of you who have moved on or moved past the preconceived notions that therapy is for a specific group of people, um, or hell, maybe you relate more to that other exercise and a year from now, maybe you'll come back, listen to this episode again, and be a part of this group. Regardless, here's a question to think about this week. How are you actively working on your trauma or pain? I'm going to say that one more time. How are you actively working on your trauma or your pain? And if you notice what I didn't say was what books have you read to explain why you have trauma or to explain why you're um, carrying generational wounds? No, 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 no. How are you? comma, your government first name, government last name, comma, working to resolve your issues related to your own unique trauma. Hey, if you learned something from this episode, please share it with somebody who didn't hear the phrase, your feelings are valid growing up. You never know what a stranger can do for someone's mental health. I should know. If you connected with this episode, um, hit me up on Instagram, Jasmine Reed Clark, Jasmine with a Z. Um, And if you feel compelled at all to support this podcast, the best thing you can do is share it and leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts. Really helps with my metrics. And I would love to do this full time one day. And with that, I will talk to you guys in my next episode. The makers of you.